Philippians chapter 2, please turn there in your Bibles. Philippians 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Man, isn't, isn't it exciting what God's doing at Redemption and what God's doing in this community? And I love that we get together to get into his word every week. As I was prepping this passage, I was like, man, this is such a, a great passage, uh, but also overwhelmed at how inadequate I feel to communicate the depth and the riches of this passage. So this morning, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts through his word. Let's look at verses 1 through 11 together. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our passage. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word, God, I pray that your spirit would bring life to our spirits, that we, seeing the example of Jesus Christ who who humbled himself, who though God became man, and not just became man, but became a servant, and not just became a servant, but humbled himself to the point of death, and not just humbled himself to the point of death, but humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Father, with that example of humility and servanthood in front of us, may we consider today, and may our hearts be moved to serve one another. And in doing so, may we protect the unity of your church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul is writing, this kind of piggybacks off of what we talked about last week. Paul's writing to encourage the, the, those who at the church at Philippi to maintain unity together, to stay together in one spirit, one faith, unified in purpose, and he, he, he in, in the previous passage, the last couple of verses of chapter 1, 27 through 30, he speaks to them about the opposition to their unity that's going to come from without them, that's going to come from the outside. There's going, there already are people who are opposing their message, who are opposing their methods, who are opposing the church in general, and he exhorts them to not be afraid of them and to resist that opposition and to instead stand together in unity. When there's opposition coming from the outside, unity can be very difficult to maintain. 
People start to scatter instead of gathering together. People start to think, oh, well, we should respond this way or we should respond that way or this isn't what I signed up for. And, you know, all kinds of things threaten the unity of the church when there's opposition from the outside. And so Paul tells them how to respond to that in Philippians 1, 27 through 30. But now he directs their attention not to the opposition to their unity that's coming from the outside, but the opposition to their unity that comes from within them. Namely, that they, just like us, are sinners and have the, the propensity to wound one another, to fight against one another, to betray one another. And so he calls them to Christ-like humility. He calls them to become servants towards one another. And his argument in this passage is simply this, and you'll see this on the handout if you, if you want to follow along and fill in some blanks. I encourage you to do that with us this morning. His argument in this passage is this. In humility, serve each other because in humility, Jesus served you. Getting that down. In humility, serve each other because in humility, Jesus served you. In other words, Jesus sets aside his, pre- his preferences. Jesus sets aside his rights. Jesus set, sets aside, even as we'll see a, a, a little bit later on, some, some of the privileges of his deity, being himself God. He sets that aside in order to serve us, and then he calls us to do the same for each other. Jesus, being our example, humbled himself to serve us, so in humility we are called to serve each other. All right, I want to talk, I want to give you three things regarding serving each other, and then we want to look at the example of Jesus where I'll also give you three things. Serving each other, the the next thing you see on your handout. Serving each other begins with experiencing Jesus and results in being unified. This is the flow we see of, of Paul's passage here. It begins with experiencing Jesus and then the result of it are being unified. That's what this overarching passage is about. From, from chapter 1, verse 27 to the end of our passage today, Paul is speaking to them not just about servanthood but about unity and how unity or servanthood leads to unity. It begins with experiencing Jesus though. Paul, was, Paul had incredible experience with Jesus. If you're familiar with, the, with Paul's personal story, you know that he didn't begin by serving Jesus. He actually began by opposing Jesus. He began by, by arresting Christians for preaching the gospel, throwing them in jail. He oversaw what, as far as we know, was the first martyrdom of any Christian. That was Stephen in the book of Acts. He literally was out to kill Christians, and he was on his way. He had, he had orders from the authorities. He had papers in hand that he was to, instructions to go out to arrest and imprison Christians for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where he was at in life. And as he's on his way to do that, Jesus meets him. And he meets him in a dramatic way. And Paul's conversion results in a complete 180. No longer does does he oppose Christians. He joins Christians. Not does he just join Christians, but he becomes the greatest missionary of the first century. 
He takes the gospel further into more people than anybody else in his generation. What a turnaround. This guy was literally trying to put out the fire of the gospel so that nobody would ever hear this message. That was his life's goal and his ambition was to stop the gospel. And he was so radically changed by his experience with Jesus that he would later give his life seeing that the gospel went out. Serving each other begins with experiencing Jesus. Now, you don't have to have an experience like Paul's. Few of us will, if any of us. But you do need to experience him. He says in in verse 1, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy then make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He says, if you've received encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship with the spirit, affection and mercy, if you have experienced Jesus, if he has come into your life in a real and intimate way, that's that's the beginning of serving each other. Some of us, have a natural disposition towards serving others. Others of us are just completely self-absorbed. We're completely unaware of the needs of the people around us. I'm always amazed at how when, when Kim goes shopping, she always comes back with things for other people. I don't think I've ever done that in my life. I go shopping and all I see, the, the, the lens which I see everything through is, do I want this for me? <laughs> That's it. I've, I've never given any thought to what the people around me might want or how I might serve them. And she just has that natural disposition towards thinking about each other or thinking about others and thinking about how she might serve them and care for them. But regardless of our natural disposition, all of us are called to set our minds towards serving others. And that begins by experiencing Jesus. It's because I've experienced him that I want to serve the body. It's because I have received, as Paul said, encouragement, consolation, fellowship with the Spirit, affection, mercy. Those are the things that move my heart towards wanting to serve others. I want them to have the same experience with Jesus that I'm having So it begins with experiencing Jesus, but it results in being unified. He says, if you've experienced these things, verse 2, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Unity. Unity that is the result of experiencing Jesus. That's what we we need. That's what we, we aim for in the church. Not unity that is a result of natural disposition. Not unity that is a result of of any shared interest that we have. But unity that is the result of us experiencing Jesus. Next, we see that serving each other requires dealing with your sinful self. If it begins with experiencing Jesus and results in being unified, the next thing that we see in this passage is that it requires dealing with your sinful self. This is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. 
Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Those are strong words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. What is it? What would it look like for you? What would it look like for me to act not out of my own self-interest, to not to act not out of my own self-ambition? but in following the pattern set for us by Christ to consider others as more important than myself. The world tells us and our flesh tells us, you make you happy. You do you. You you follow your own heart. But the Bible tells us in contrast with that, that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. Don't follow your heart, follow the heart of Christ. That's why Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't just go with the flow, don't just do what comes natural, but be transformed. Fight against the desires of your heart, because you have a sinful self. You are not all good. You are not naturally good. You are not basically good. You are, you are at the core a sinner just like me. And so to serve each other, that requires that we deal with our sinful selves. That we realize that if I'm going to be a healthy, healthy addition to the body of Christ, then I've got to recognize my own sinfulness and not just recognize it, but wage war against it and to deal with it. When you're getting ready to act in regard to your brothers and sisters in Christ or, or those within the church, are you acting out of selfish ambition and conceit? Or are you in humility considering others as more important than yourselves? What a difficult challenge. Only, only by the power of Christ and only if you have experienced Christ will you even attempt to aim at that type of behavior. That's why it begins with experiencing Jesus because if you haven't experienced Jesus, you're never going to do this. You're never going to put aside your own sinful desires, your selfish ambition and conceit and consider others as more important than you. But if you have received, as Paul had, encouragement in Christ, if you have received his mercy, if you have received his grace, fellowship in the spirit, once you've experienced Jesus in that way, then all of a sudden your heart's desire becomes transformed Conformed not to this age, but conformed to the word of God. Serving each other requires dealing with your sinful self. Then thirdly, under serving each other. Serving each other is not complicated. It's not complicated. Perhaps you, you might be led to believe or you may feel like I have complicated it already. Oh, if I'm going to, you know, if I just got up here and said, hey, serve each other, there are things that would come to your mind. Oh, I can do this or I can do that. But now I've complicated things. First, I'm saying you've got to experience Jesus. You're like, well, now there's a step that I have to take before serving, right? 
And then I'm saying you have to deal with your sinful self and you have to examine your heart and examine your attitudes and, and, and deal with some very difficult, innate things to deal with. But let's not get confused. Serving really isn't all that complicated. Paul says in verse 4, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And when you, when it, you just boil it down to its simplest form, serving is just saying, hey, what do you need? What do you need? What would benefit you? How can I serve you? You know, so, sometimes um, those who have been trained in the business world, who have been trained well in customer service, do this better than the church. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have, we have new hearts. We have transformed minds. And we ought to be leading the world and serving each other. But it's really not complicated. Look around you and say, how can I make life better for these people? How can I contribute here? What, what talents do I have? What time can I give? How can I, how can I participate in the body of Christ by, by serving each other? We don't have to make it complicated. It's really at the end of the day, it's about I've experienced Jesus. I recognize that the natural in, inclinations of my heart aren't always towards good, but often towards sin, and so I'm willing to, to die to that and put that aside and say, hey, I'm here to serve. I'm here to look not to my own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And this means that we put aside our preferences. We put aside the way that we wish things would go, and we say, well, what would serve everybody else? What would best serve the people around me? And not just the people around me, but what would what would best serve the 150,000 people within 20 minutes of here, most of whom who don't know Jesus as Savior? What can we do to serve them? How can we reach our community with this attitude of being servants? So Paul lays, lays this out for them. Don't look to your own interests, but rather the interests of others. And he's, if, if you're like me, you're saying, man, that's hard, that's difficult. I need more motivation I need more help in this. And that's exactly where he goes in verses 5 through 11. He goes to our motivation. So let's go there together. He goes to Jesus. What better example to point to when it comes to setting aside your own, your own desires and your own interests and pursuing the, the interests of others? What better example than Jesus so there's three things I want to say about Jesus from this passage. Let me read this first. This is going to mess up the PowerPoint. Just stay where you're at on the PowerPoint. Let me read this. This doesn't need to appear on the screen behind me, but I think it will be better if I read verses 5 through 11, and then we'll get to those three points about Jesus. It says this, Adopt the same attitude of, as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God. Hold on to that phrase for a minute. The form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. So the one who, by his natural existence, is in the form of God, empties himself and assumes the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross." Verse 9, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, so this is what Paul does. He points us to Jesus. So let's, let's, let's break this down into three parts. One, Jesus sets the example by using his position as an opportunity to serve. Jesus sets the example for us by using his position as an opportunity to serve. What do we mean by that? First of all, I better give you a minute before I move on and the slide disappears. Better give me a minute to fill that in. He sets the example by using his position, the last blank, as an opportunity to serve. In verse 5, Paul points us to this, this when he says, Adopt the same attitude. As that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. So Jesus is God. He's God in eternity past. He's, he's God as long as, there's, as long as that's been a thing for all of eternity. Time gets a little bit funny when you're talking about God. He's just always been, and he's always been God. Jesus existed with the Father and existed with the Holy Spirit as part of the triune God. And yet he adopts this attitude that even though he exists in the form of God, this is just sort of a play on words, okay? A bit of a poetic way saying he is he is god okay he's not just i think that when that translates into english it sounds like he almost was like a reflection of god or he was kind of like god no he was god that's clear in scripture he existed as god but he did not consider his godness if you will he did not consider equality with god as something to be exploited in other words jesus as god could have just stayed where he was at, having participated with the Father and created this universe and created humanity in in his likeness and in his image and sitting back and seeing how this thing was beginning to play out and seeing the desperate state of humanity, Jesus could have said, well, it's not my fault. I didn't do that. They did that. They made their bed, let them lie in it, is maybe the way some of us would say that. Instead of, instead of saying, you know, he could have even done this another way. Maybe, maybe that sounds too calloused for you to, of course, Jesus wasn't going to say that. He's a God of love. But he could have done this another way. He could have come up with another way for salvation to be offered to mankind. But what he does instead is he takes it upon himself. He does not exploit his equality with God. He does not exploit his deity and create another way. Instead, he emptied himself. Now, there's all kinds of theological things in this passage that people debate. It's a rich passage, but it's also a... Um, boy, it just, it just raises a lot of questions and gets people talking about things. Without getting caught up in that, we don't believe that, that Jesus emptied himself in, in the sense that he ceased to be God, but rather that he, he, he refused 
to hold on to the privilege of being God. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. We take this for granted. I take this for granted. I don't want to speak for you. I take this for granted. Of course Jesus did that. That's, what I, that's the message I've heard my whole life. But when I step back and I think about what that means and when I step back and, 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 and think about the absurdity of God suspending or putting aside his rights and his privileges of God as being the, the infinitely holy, the infinitely just, the infinitely good God, he... he takes on responsibility for the problem that we created and he humbles himself and he becomes the servant. That's incredible. He takes on the likeness of humanity. You ever, um, my, well, my friend Amy that was here a few weeks ago uh, who was born without arms or legs and she shared her story uh, you know, there have been times where it's come up in conversation with her, like, you know, like, how do you deal with that? Like, what, and, and her response is, all, well, that's all, that's all I've ever known. Like, that's the only body I've ever had. And so it seems normal to her in a sense, although she's obviously knows it's not normal. Um, and, and you think, you know, we, we're human beings. We've only ever known humanity. We've only ever known what it's like to be us. And, and so for, for us to understand what Jesus did, we, we think, well, he humbled himself, but you know, this is, this is what we've always known. But for Jesus, he existed not as a human, but as God and had complete freedom, freedom of will and, and, and freedom of purpose. And he was just absolutely 100% free and he, he limits himself. He suspends certain rights and privileges that he has and becomes something far less than he himself has always been. In humility, he becomes the servant, taking on the likeness of hum humanity. What, what a downgrade to go from infinite God to finite human. To be restricted to being in one place. To be restricted to existing within time. To be restricted by human abilities. Jesus literally was a baby. He became completely helpless and dependent upon other people. And he did this to come and to serve you and I. That's a pretty big example to set. And he calls us to repeat that pattern, to imitate him. That means forfeiting some of our rights in order to serve others. This is how Paul says it in Galatians 5.13. He says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Our freedom in Christ is meant to be an opportunity to serve one another in love. So Jesus sets the example by using his position as an opportunity to serve. He could have used his position as an opportunity to get out of it, to pass the buck, to create another way, to do something different. But instead he used his position as an opportunity to serve. 
Next, Jesus took servanthood to the extreme by dying on a cross for you. He takes servanthood to an extreme by dying on a cross for you. If you've seen that show, Undercover Boss, it's a show about where like CEOs of big companies and stuff like that take on an entry-level job to learn what it's like to work in their company and all that. And a lot of times they're, they're moved by what they see and there's usually somebody that they encounter that has a story that sort of tugs on their hearts and they want to do something good for them and they, they reward them. And that's an example of somebody who has authority, who has position, who does not need to lower themselves, but they choose to in order to serve other people. I have yet to see any one of them choose to die for their employees. That would make a good show. (laughs) It hasn't happened. And it probably never will. Our servanthood has limits. Our servanthood, we've set a limit, just like our credit card company sets a limit on how much we can spend, we set a limit on how much we're willing to expend in serving others. Yeah, I'll give up a little bit of money. Yeah, I'll give up a little bit of time. Yeah, I'll give up a little bit of energy. Yeah, I'll go a couple of steps in that direction. And if I'm really moved, I might go a couple steps beyond that. But, but ultimately, we have limits on how far we're willing to go in serving others. But Jesus takes servanthood to the extreme by dying on a cross for us. That's why it says in the second half of verse seven, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Not just any death. Not just lie down and die in your sleep, but death on a cross. Let me read to you, if, if you don't mind, a fairly lengthy passage that I think will help drive this home. In Matthew 27, verse 27, this won't be on the screen. You can just, hopefully that's actually helpful in this case, that you'll just be able to listen to the words. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him. Hail, King King of the Jews. Then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they found a serene man named Simon, they forced him to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. They sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing, this is Jesus, King of the Jews." Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. 
If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him and said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. From noon... Until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, And offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. When we talk about humility and serving each other, we do so in the context of the greatest example of humility and servanthood ever in all of human history. Jesus, though existing in the form of God, did not see that as something to be exploited to his own gain, but rather he humbled himself. He became a servant, taking on the form of man. He humbled himself to the point of death, Death on a cross. And for hour after hour, they beat him and they mocked him and they spat on him. And they made the whole thing a joke. And Jesus never spoke one word against them because he was doing it for us. Jesus took servanthood to the extreme of dying on a cross for you. Lastly, and here's where the good news comes in, because this story does not have a sad ending, but a magnificently happy ending. Lastly is this, Jesus is now reaping the reward of being a servant. He is now reaping the reward of being a servant. These two things may sound like they don't go together to you. It may sound like in order for servanthood to count, there can't be a reward. That's not how God works. That's not how heaven works. That's not how Jesus operated. In in God's economy... True servanthood, servanthood that is motivated by an experience with Jesus and servanthood that seeks the good in other people, not in the good for ourselves, is ultimately rewarded. And Jesus is now reaping that reward. Let's look at verse 9. Just as many words and verses as Paul gave to speaking about the humility of Jesus, he gives to speaking about Jesus' now exaltation. He says in verse 9, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, 
in heaven and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came and he humbled himself and he served, and as a result, the Father has exalted him. He's given him this incredible name, the name of Jesus. One day, every knee will bow to Jesus. That same knee that bowed before the disciples to wash their feet. One day, it's our knees that will bow. Whether we choose to receive him and choose to obey him and choose to follow him, or whether we reject him, remain in rebellion against him, our knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are invited to imitate Jesus in serving each other. And likewise, we are invited to, into enjoying his reward. Now that's just making that up. I'm about to show you from Scripture. We actually, if we, if we will, like Jesus, humble ourselves and serve, then we will, like Jesus, enjoy the reward. God is not some sadistic God that just calls on, on, on you to just to be miserable and to never have any of your needs met and to never have any joy of your own, but he actually rewards service toward him with joy and with eternal reward. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, Jesus is telling a parable about, it's a parable about the kingdom. It's a parable about a master who had entrusted his servants with some of his possession and then he went away and he came back and he wanted to see what they did with it. And some of them were faithful and they increased his master's possessions and some of them were unfaithful and they did not reap their master any reward. But here's what he says in Matthew 25 verse 21 to the one who was faithful. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And listen to these words. Share your master's joy. Jesus has eternal and infinite joy as his reward for humbling himself and becoming a servant. For those who will follow suit, he says, come. Come and share in your master's joy, good and faithful servant. Servant, good and faithful servant. Not good and faithful leader. Not not good and faithful rock star Christian you. No, he says this to the servants. To those who serve him in obedience. Share your master's joy. Jesus is now reaping the reward of being a servant. And if we, in response to experiencing him, will faithfully serve those around us. And give our lives to the service of the king and his kingdom. We too will reap the reward. Let me just recap for you. In humility, we're called to serve each other because in humility, Jesus served us. Serving each other begins with experiencing Jesus and results in being unified. 
Serving each other requires dealing with your sinful self. We're going to have to fight against our sinful nature. But make no mistake, serving each other is not complicated. And when you need the motivation to do this, set your mind on Jesus because he sets the example by using his position as an opportunity to serve. And he takes servanthood to the extreme by dying on the cross for you, but now is reaping the reward of being a servant. Let's pray. Jesus, as we prepare our hearts for communion, it's only fitting that we've taken this time to look at the example that you have set and to, to contemplate the depths to which you were willing to go to, to pay the price for our sins. You died on that cross, not because you deserved it, but because I deserved it. You died on that cross because there was a penalty that was owed for my sins. And either I was going to pay it eternally separated from God in hell, or you were going to pay it on that cross and redeem me back to yourself. Jesus, I thank you that you chose not to call on your position as part of the Godhead as a reason not to come and serve. But you did the absurd. You did what no one would have expected. You, being God, humbled yourself and became a man. And you served. And you served to the point of death, even death on a cross. God, we rejoice in knowing that in you we have salvation. And so that's what we want to celebrate here as we receive communion. So, Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. God, if there be any sin that has gone unconfessed, that now in these next moments we'd take the opportunity to confess our sins. God, if there be anybody here who came in here today, not a Christ follower, not somebody who is trusting in you for salvation, God, would you just call on them to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and to receive you as Savior, to receive the gift of mercy that you've provided for on the cross, and to join us in this holy communion. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.